Mr. Benfica is a production of the PTB Media Network. All rights reserved. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, CastBox, Overcast, Himalaya, Pod Paradise, TuneIn, Breaker, and now available on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and also on Audible for Amazon Prime subscribers. As always, select episodes available on YouTube and, of course, at www.mrbenfica.com. Please like, share, and rate the show on your preferred platform. Enjoy the show. Benfica Nation, welcome to episode 112 of Mr. Benfica. I am your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinu, and this is episode 112, like I said, and we're talking about mostly the Clásico Benfica Porto from a week ago. I will, I end up going very quickly through the Nacional match this past uh, Monday, I want to say the game, maybe it was Tuesday. Um... Sporting are your new champions. I know I've been asked about uh, my feelings on several things in regard to that. I will say one thing. I did wish congratulations to only my family members who are Sportingistas, who are diehard Sportingistas. Even though they have never once congratulated me on a Befica title, I, I did wish it to them. 19 years is a long time. But, 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 but. That is a there is a lot of Sportingistas I will not say that for, um, depending on you know history and depending on attitudes and whatnot. But uh, all in all, the best team from week one to week thirty-two, and when we finish in two weeks, week forty-four, well, a week from now, week thirty-four, did win the title. Um, I'm gonna save my thoughts and my opinions on on that and what it means for us for a later episode okay the episode you're about to hear i i aired live on youtube and on facebook and on my twitter page okay one small thing that happened though is i forgot to hit record when i started recording so after reconquista you're going to join the podcast 
uh, in progress, all right? So what you're going to miss is you're going to miss me talking about Modalidad, talking about the women's team, talking about uh, women's basketball, talking about the disaster that has been a lot of the teams in our club this year. So if you want the full, full episode, go over to www.mrbenfica.com and watch it there, okay? Uh, I will post it and, and tweet out the link to it in the morning. Uh, I'm recording this now at 9.43 p.m. on Thursday night, May the 13th. And as you, you all know, if you listen to me, that I wake up about 1.32 a.m. every day, depending on what time my work time uh, my work start time is. So uh, I am done for tonight, but enjoy the show, okay? Uh, you're going to pick it up in progress, like I said, and we're already talking football when I pick it up on the other side, okay? Enjoy uh, Reconquista, and on the other side, it is episode 112, Mr. Benfica. Passo a passo o caminho é duro Temos muita história mas ainda mais futuro Conto com dificuldade em cada jornada sofrida A glória da vitória tem que ser bem nutrida Na reconquista do que é nosso por direito Que não fico por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós Do que é nosso por direito Que não vi por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Ouve a nossa sorte O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz so Benfica come out with the, the an attempted 3-5-2. A lot of times they lose their shape, okay? A lot of times Benfica still aren't making the runs to the right space. Defensively, the players are still unsure of where to cover, who makes who who makes the step, who drops, when to drop, when to step. And I think that that was made so apparent in the goal that we surrendered. But when you look at it early on, okay, and I'm going to go through the ticker now that I've given you guys the lineups. Early on, Befica come out well, I think. I think they started. The first 10 minutes was actually good from Befica. Uh, I said I wanted to see Befica uh, possess for 40, 40 to 45 percent of the time. I did not want to see Befica with the ball all the time. I know a lot of fans, that's the Befica they want to see. We don't have that kind of team. 
And this Porto team is so dangerous on the counter, especially down our left side. And if you're in the chat right now, feel free to tell me what side their goal came from. It came from our left. Okay. Um, yes, off of set piece, but still, that left side bleeds goals this season. And the, not just this season, going back to last January, going back to when things started to, to completely flip on their head, when Bruno Elijah's streak ended, and all of a sudden we lost control of this thing. Um, Benfica bleed goals out of that left side, okay? Unfortunately, a big problem is because it's Grimaldo's defending is atrocious. We see a moment in the first half where he has Marega dribbling out of bounds and saves him by fouling him for no reason. Okay. I do note, though, in my notes here, in the first five minutes, Porto have four fouls. Two of them are hard ones with studs showing by none other than Otavio. Okay. Otavio foul, fouls Weigel twice showing studs. Keep that in mind. As we know, the referee was Artur Suarez-Dias. And as could be expected, there was graffiti at the referee's training center before this match threatening Artur Suarez-Dias. I don't care which team's supporters did that. There's no place for that. And I'm going to criticize the referee, okay? But that's... I'm not going to, you know, condone threats. I'm not going to condone the absolute culture we have for football in the in, in this league and in our country and in uh, you know in our clubs even and in our rivalries. It's so toxic. It is so toxic it's exhausting. We can't even enjoy a match because of the the threats. I talked about it in the pregame show. There are the insults hurled by an official communications department of that club. Ours just stays silent. We have two polar opposites in these two clubs. We have one club that doesn't know when to shut up and the other club that stays silent all the time. You know which one we are. So, Otavio picks up five fouls, four fouls in the first five minutes. Sorry, he picks up two fouls, but Porto have four fouls, all of them hard. None of them are soft. They don't waste a foul. I've said that, and this is why I wanted to see Benfica win the foul battle, but Suarez-Dias made sure that wasn't going to happen because he used two different criteria. And this is not an excuse for the result. Benfica's play was poor for the most part. I said the approach was probably the best they could do because they're not going to go out there and they're not going to pass circles around Porto and open holes and create you know, chances with possession. They needed Porto to come forward in order to create chances. The last 10 minutes of the match are proof of that. More or less, Benfica held the game where I had said I wanted to see it. More or less, I mean, they did get exposed wide. Again, Grimaldo especially was, is just not a good one-on-one -on -one defender. And in, in fact... A big problem with this club and a big problem with this team, this plantel. Or as Jorge Jesus says, o elenco. He uses the Brazilian word, elenco. Uh, the cast, elenco means the cast, is very few of them have any defensive one-on-one -on -one abilities. Or one-on-one -on -one defensive abilities. Very few of them. We get beat on the dribble far too easy. We overcommit every time. That's why we gave up a goal, okay? That's one reason we gave up a goal is because of the overcommitting, okay? Um, Benfica just, 
and they couldn't they couldn't resort to fouling in this game. I think Suarez saw a video of the last time we played, and he he wasn't going to allow that to happen the way we were able to do it. I thought the last one was the best officiated match between these two teams that I can remember because they let him play. They let him play. This one that was not the case. There was a criteria for Porto, and there was a criteria for Benfica. And unfortunately, our club has nothing to say about it. No, I'm not saying. Our club should do what Jota Marx does. That guy's a disgrace and should ha be serving a lifetime ban from football. He's done enough to be banned. Okay? No, I'm not saying that. We could start just by having our president show up for the match. Or at least issue a statement as to why he's not there. That would help. You know, ever since he won the election, the guy's gone into hiding. He got what he wanted, and now he's backing away and letting those who defended him, okay, including Rui Costa, including George Zouche, including every moron that goes on to BTV to defend him, Pedro Guerra, he's letting them take all of the brunt, and he's hiding away. Yeah, he's got his own problems, as you know, okay, as has been in the news this week. I'm not going into that, okay? That That is his personal problems, his personal business. Yes, it has to do with us because he's the president, but that's way out of my area of jurisdiction. I'm not going to comment on that. He's He's got his problems, but clearly his mind is not on Benfica, and he's probably in, you know, he's in some hot water. So, Again, congratulations to the 63%. All right, congratulations. You guys did great. And for the first time, I do have to say during this match, for the first time, I was referred to as from somebody. You in the 36%. How are you? I was asked how we, me, myself, and my 36%. I, I was flattered that this person thought I have that kind of influence, that they're my 36%. No, they're not mine. I'm just one. Um, how we were going to blame JJ. Sit tight, okay? I'm not going to blame JJ, but JJ has a big, big... There's a lot of blame to go around to everybody, but JJ JJ made a key mistake in this match, and I heard it defended on BTV. Okay, I saw the, those commentators in the postgame completely covered for him, completely tried to back him up, okay? Even Elder Conduto on the call, because when I watched the match live, I watched it in English on Gold TV because my new friend Nino Torres was calling the game, and I have to apologize for what I said about him when he got all excited about Porto and then got all mad about their goal being called by VAR. He reacted the same exact way in this match when it was when we were on that shoes. He was just as upset that the goal didn't count. The guy just loves football and hates VAR, I think, or just doesn't like the way VAR is utilized, and that's where I am. Um, VAR could be good, but it is so poorly utilized, especially in Portugal. But getting back, okay, I watched this a second. I've watched it more than twice now, actually. I have watched this match in bits and pieces almost every night after work since the match was played. Okay, Elder Kundutu starts, and I know this is a producer in his ear. This is not him speaking freely in my... Him and Rogério Matias start right away to start explaining when, jo when JJ makes that substitution... They make sure you know exactly why that substitution had to be made, even if you disagree, okay? Because I think they know, like I knew when that substitution was made, that this wasn't going to end well. And not, and this is not a knock on the players. I've come to realize that uh, this is not a knock on the players. You cannot start to ask players to do things they are not capable of. When, it, when that becomes it, 
the the burden is on the manager. And man, have some JJ lovers come at me in the last week. Oh, it's the COVID. Oh, it's it's you know, the club was never going to keep all those youth. If we played youth players, we'd lose. We don't we don't have the money to compete in the market. We always have to overspend. I've said all of these things myself. Okay, yes, but at the end of the day, the product on the pitch needs to be better. He has had now nine months. September, October, November, December, January, March, April. We're into May. Nine months. We're in month nine with JJ. And that's just in official matches. We're in month nine. And this team is still still without an identity. It's still not playing to its potential. It's still not played a full 90-minute match. As a result, we watched our noisy neighbors lift their first trophy in 152 years this week. No, I'm kidding. It's only 19. And um, I'll get to my... I'll get to one of the things I've been asked a lot um, since yesterday. I'll get to that. Hopefully I don't forget I have kind of a scatterbrain (laughs) when it comes to some of these things. But I hope I don't forget. But I will get to some of you questions that that you guys have put out for me I will get to it um at the end here or before we move on to the Nacional match but coming back to this match okay there's plenty of blame to go around but I thought Benfica had to see a little less of the ball and I know that's unpopular but if the object of the match is to win you know give yourself the best opportunity to win we you're gonna get opportunities when Porto take chances and they can't take chances if you have the ball all the time. They're waiting for you to mess up. Yes, it's an anticlimactic version of football. It's You can call it what you want, anti-football. It's not anti-football. It's a strategy. It's a legitimate strategy. We do not have Aymar, and we do not have Saviola, and we do not have Hamirish and, and those kind of guys to just take it to them the way we could in 2009, 2010. Okay? We don't have that team. Part of the problem with Peasy, and everybody hates on Peasy, and he's by far, you know, he's far from being any perfect player. But the problem with him is that he's not any of those guys I just mentioned. Yet we want that from him. We expect him to play out of position a lot of times. He's a player that belongs in the box. Let this game be, be proof of that. He's a player who belongs in the final third. He gives you very little defensively. He gives you very little in terms of box-to-box and in terms of, 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 like they say in Portuguese, pulmão, lungs. He gives you very little uh, work rate. That's not his game. But we're asking him to be a true eight because we don't have a true eight. And as much as I have blasted Adel Tarapt, it's not his game either, and it's not fair to him to expect him to play that way either. That's why he can't play 90 minutes, because we're asking him to do something that's not in his DNA. And you can't, no matter what any coach wants you to believe, you cannot train that type of player to be a you know a freak of nature and conditioning-wise. Not everybody can just train and train and train and get more more stamina and be more endurance and become this fitness machine. Some players, when you push them that way, they get injured. 
clearly Adele gets injured. And JJ said as much. He blamed it on his fasting. No, 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 no. It's it's just a lack of foresight. And it's a lack of an individualized plan for each player to get the most out of that player. JJ's old school. There's a lot that's good with old school. But in the new school, you got to be more scientific, bro. You got to be more scientific. You have to manage players' fitness much better. You can't ask them to do things that they are not necessarily capable of doing and expecting good results. And I think that's where this team has been for some time now, for this season going back to the collapse last season. Asking players to do more than what they can do. Instead of building a team with players that have the attributes you want. Because if the players don't have the attributes, you can't play that way. You have to evolve. You have to adjust. And I know J.J. hates playing this 5-3-2, and a lot of people hate seeing it. But we can't play a 4-4-2 with this team. We don't have a true holding midfielder. We don't have a true box-to-box. Weigel's, Weigel's doing what he can, but he's out of his element as well. He's still adapting to, to that role. He's not the, the sit-in-front-of-the-back-four type midfielder. And a lot of people think you don't need that. But when you bleed goals like we do, and you have the efficiency of what we have, you do need that. You do need more strength, and you need more protection for your, your players. That's why we had to go to a three-man back line. It's not because... It's a stylistic decision. It's not because it's pretty or because it's, you know, because it is to some extent because we now have three central defenders, but it also is more out of necessity to protect that portion of the pitch because our outside backs are not defenders. Now, Dio Gonçalves has merged, has merged, excuse me, has evolved and grown into maybe our best overall player right now, performance wise. Okay? Maybe our best and most consistent overall player as a wingback. I think we've got another one. And we need a left back. At this point, Grimaldo doesn't cut it anymore because in these big games and in European games, he gets eaten alive on the dribble. All right, I have gotten so far off the point. Let's get back to this match into specific instances. I got... There is a clash of uh, knees in the eighth minute that, that was worrisome. Vertonghen and Marega both go down. Uh, Porto's bench goes crazy on this play, looking for a penalty. Is there anybody watching this match that didn't know exactly what Porto was going to do? Now, I said it on the pregame show. I literally picked Befica's 11 without any thought. It took me all of a couple of minutes. Um, there's no thought at all into it. So, obviously, Sergio Conceição knew Benfica's 11. Ports was a little more sh- more iffy because you had players um, you had players dealing with some injuries and looking to get back from, from those injuries. And you had, you know, players suspended or whatever. Um, so, Porto had a few more question marks than we did. Was anybody surprised that Porto were A, going to look for penalties, B, we're going to foul hard. I said that that was going to happen. I said we had to match them. We did not match them in intensity. I think we matched them in terms of approach, but I think our intensity had to be pulled back because the referee was a lot more strict with us and we were booked a lot more than they were, obviously. 14th minute, we finally get a yellow card. I wrote this down here. Okay. 
And it takes an absolutely criminal challenge from behind by Sergio Oliveira on Everton. Absolutely no attempt to do anything football-wise but to take him down for Suarez Diaz to finally produce a yellow card to Porto. That was their sixth foul, okay? 15th minute, and Otavio, I mentioned him already. He should have already been in the book. Once again, now he stamps on Vertonghen. This is his fourth foul, his third stamping in 15 minutes. 15 minutes, Otavio comes down with his studs, stamps on a Benfica player three times. You think he got booked? No, he gets his third warning from Suarez Diaz. Suarez Diaz gives him his third warning. Two sets of criteria. 18th minute, Rafa is kicked. This time, albeit it's unintentional. However, still a foul. Okay? By an already booked Sergio Oliveira. And I would have liked to seen Benfica kind of asking for it a little bit. Trying to... to they're not going to get the call, but pressuring Suarez Diaz a little bit. Because what happens with these referees is they get all the pressure from one team. They're so much more likely, when in doubt, to go with that team. You need any proof of that? Look at the final minute of the game. In the final minute of the game, the referee's face said it all when 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 VAR bailed him from what he thought was his certain doom. Twentieth minute, and Porto is showing what they do best. Mabemba plays a perfect ball into space. This was a beautiful ball from Mabemba. I had to give credit, but this is their game. It's fast and it's direct, and they use their speed and they use their power. Mabemba plays it into space. In behind, guess who? Grimaldo. Because that space is always open. That is an expressway down our left. And he plays right into the run of Marega. Marega does this run all the time against us. Okay, Taremi, when he played for Hiuav, did this same exact run. Now that he's on Porto, he, his run goes to the other side. But it's the same run from the center to our left, to his right, into the gap behind Grimaldo. Goes and gets the ball, and it's one-on-one against Vertonghen, okay? And Marega runs in, okay? He outpaces Vertonghen, and then he drives across, hard across the face of goal, right onto Taremi's run, but the Iranian makes a complete mess of it, and perhaps Lucas Felicio may have gotten just enough of a touch on it to redirect it. He could have very easily redirected it into his own goal, but he managed... Uh, to change the trajectory of the ball just enough to get it out of the out of the reach of Taremi's foot, and instead hits Taremi in the higher on the leg, and it pops straight up into the air, and Elton is able to just scoop it up. Should have been one nil to Porto at that point. It should have been one nil, no question about it. Um, and you know, one of the commentators and one of the the analyst I like most in Portugal is Blessing Lamengo. Okay, Blessing Lamengo used to work for Lateral Esquerdo. Okay, used to write and talk on their podcast and write for them. And I love Lateral Esquerdo. It's a soccer geek's dream come true. Um, and now he works for TSF Radio. He works on RTP. He comes on through the talk sometimes. And he he's their tactical guy. He breaks down and he calls Taremi the best forward in Portugal. And, well... I have a hard time coming up with a name that's better than him, but he's not, you know, that doesn't say much because he's got to score this goal. No question at all. He has to score this goal. The net is open. 
He's in behind. Even if Barisimu gets the the slight deflection on the ball, slight deviation, you know, a world, uh, a, a top, le- maybe not world class, but a top level international striker like like Mehdi Taremi has to finish it. Fortunately for us, he did not. And I think he's just a bit overrated. Maybe he's the best forward in the league, but that's because there are not good forwards in this league. Look who's leading the league in goal scoring right now. Okay, and how many how many opportunities he has squandered? How many opportunities he takes to, to get the ball in the goal? So we stay uh, nil nil. But then in the twenty third minute, this is what I wanted to see. I did not want to see uh, Benfica leaving themselves exposed because I believed Porto, if forced to build out of the back, would make mistakes and. Of course, they try to play a short goal kick, which if I'm Sergio Conceição, I would not allow any of these with this team. They are not a, a tiki-taka side. What are they doing taking a, a goal kick that doesn't come out of the box? They, all their goal kicks should be should be played into open space up the pitch. But I'm glad they did it this way instead because we pressed intelligently, okay? Not not a full press. We It was like a three-quarter press intelligent, all right? And uh, Marquezine plays it to Mabimba. Mabimba panics, gives it right back to Marquezine. Marquezine panics and first time kicks it out. He doesn't kick it well. He only gets it about, you know, he gets it about 10 yards shy of midfield. Vertonghen is there. Vertonghen heads it, okay? He heads it uh, right to Grimaldo, and this is where Grimaldo is useful. This is what he does bring us is in the attacking half of the of the pitch. Um, we have to have a serious conversation, though, in the offseason of, of the pros and cons of Grimaldo's style of play and whether it hurts or helps us more, especially in big matches. But here Grimaldo comes up with it. He finds Everton. Everton does a brilliant turn. I mean, he he gets himself in between a triangle of Porto players. Okay, he gets between, and I remember it was, it was Otavio, it was uh, Uribe, and it was Sergio Oliveira. All three midfielders. He turns on them. He finds the space between them. Beats them on the dribble. Does a beautiful one-two give and go with Rafa. Rafa puts it back onto him, and then with Pep closing down. Uh, on the live shot, when I watched it the first time, it looked like he put it through Pep's legs. When I watched the match again, and I, I slowed that this whole sequence down to look at it, see exactly what happened. He actually bends it around Pep, believe it or not. And what happens is Pep outstretches his leg, but not quite far enough, okay? I thought when I saw it live, Pep had overstretched his leg for the block and, we'd, and the shot had gone in the gap. No, he actually does get it around Pep's hips, okay? And he bends it, and Marquezine sees where Everton's coming from. He knows Everton puts that in the far post nine times out of ten, and he cheats to the far post. Everton puts it in the, fir- in the near post, and I'm giving him credit for this. It does take a slight deflection. But I'm giving him credit for this because I think he meant to do this because Marquezine jumps the gun a little bit. And if his head is up like a, a striker's head, you know, they pe- not a striker, but a goal scorer and a good player will peek at goal before their eyes come back down on the balls and see their foot through the ball. Um, I think from his positioning of his hips, he meant to put this in the in the near post. And he does. Marquezine cheats too far to the far post. And Everton puts it 
in the goal, and Befica take the lead for the second time this season. The second time in a row, we get up early on Porto, and let me tell you, I I jumped out of my seat and started screaming and started hollering. I was psyched. I started banging on this wall. I watched it right here in this seat. I started banging on this wall, and I said, here we go, here we go. Maybe we got this this time. And um, a very nice goal for Everton Cebolinho, who has come alive as of late. Everton has um, finally found some form. He's looking more like uh, the Everton I saw at Grêmio, the Everton that played for the Brazil national team. And I think if there's a, a, a plus side to his his sh you know inconsistent and, and just underwhelming performances this season is that I think... I think, and I'm actually hoping, and this is selfish of me, this is as a Benfica supporter, I'm hoping he stays off of Brazil's Copa America roster, and I'm hoping he gets the long rest he needs. Okay, I'm hoping he gets this summer off to recover. He has been playing nonstop, nonstop since the Brazilian League resumed in, like, May of last year. Almost an entire year of football for Everton Sobolinha. And uh, I hope that... I hope that he, he gets some rest here and is not called to Copa America. That is my selfish my selfish outlook on it. Um, uh, it'll do him better in the long run because I think if he comes in fresh next year, fresh and now with the understanding and with the adaptation he's made, he could have a, a big, big season next, next year and maybe be in Tietz's plans for the World Cup rather than the Copa America. And I think if he goes to Copa America... It's just dragging on this season, and he's going to come into next season behind. He's going to come in fatigued, maybe even injured, and I think it could set him back. I hope, I hope, and I think this Friday, tomorrow, is when Tite is, is announcing the Brazil roster for the Copa America. I hope Everton Subolinha's name, honestly, selfishly, is not there. Uh, but if you could go up 1-0, it's a good play, but... 26th minute, it's the foul I talked about a little bit while uh, a little bit ago. Grimaldo, a stupid foul on Marega, who's dribbling out of bounds. He, he is literally about to go over the end line with this dribble because Marega is a strong physical force, but he is not an intelligent footballer. Okay, when the obvious is not available to him, he he kind of starts to go towards the corner and and hope that someone's going to bail him out with some sort of foul or that a teammate's going to get into his line of sight and be able to bail him out with an outlet pass. But here he's about to go out of bounds, and nope, Grimaldo bails him out by kicking the back of his legs for absolutely no reason. 28th minute, two minutes later, Manafa curls one into Taremi, but Elton gets there first, and this one was very, very close. Fortunately, Taremi's run was to the center of the goal and not towards the near post. I don't understand why he didn't run to the near post. You could see from a mile away that's where Manafa's ball was going. Um, he didn't make the correct run. Again, this is the guy that a a analyst who I consider a very well-respected and very intelligent football man considers the best striker in Portugal, but he makes the absolute wrong run here. And Elton is, is able to get there just a half step in front of him. Because he went just a half step left instead of a half step right. And in the 30th minute, here's the key. This is a key, key, key moment in the match that really lets us down. Okay, And it is, unfortunately, it is the referee. It is, it is Suarez Dias 
Ligo comes in and commits his first foul. Nothing serious. No studs showing. Just a little tap. It's a very normal foul in the middle of the pitch. And Sergio Oliveira goes down like he's been shot, of course. And Suarez Diaz shows the yellow card immediately. I mean, I don't even think the whistle had stopped ringing in your ear before the card was out. Absolutely, like he was just waiting for Weigel to make his first foul so he could he could book him and condition him. I mean, Julian Weigel, for everything you can say to to criticize him, and that has been said to criticize him, he's had a lot to work through, okay? There's a language barrier, there is a... There's a language barrier even with the Portuguese players. Let's be honest with this manager. That's the long-running joke is that there's a language barrier no matter what language you speak with George Zouche. But um, there is an adaptation to a style of play he has, you know, clearly has had no experience prior coming into and playing in a role that he was not not familiar with, not groomed to play. And he's had to deal with all that, and he's had to deal with the criticism as well. But one thing nobody can say is that he's a dirty player. Yet he, what is this, his 13th yellow card, I think? I think it was his 13th yellow card. Let me see here. I'm going to pull it up right now because I have I have it in front of me. Julian Weigel has his stats this season. 10th. This was his 10th yellow card. Okay. Unbelievable. This player who commits probably has... Let's see if it tells me here how many fouls he's committed this year. It doesn't say that here on FOTMAL, but he's probably committed 15 or 20 fouls, and he's got 10 yellow cards, okay? Uh, again, much different criteria. Otavio commits as many fouls in one match as Weigel has all season, and Weigel's one sitting on 10 yellow cards. Changes everything. 34th minute, and Otavio with a rare moment of nice football as he... Plays a nice back heel on to Taremi as he gets on the end of a diagonal from, I believe it's from Manafa. And he back heels it right onto the path of Taremi. The Iranian shoots, but but fortunately, Benfica's back three are well positioned, and Vertonghen is in the perfect spot to block the shot. Danger averted. Now, 45 plus two, key, key moment in the match. Okay, and one of the reasons Benfica's XG is so low, as you saw in the goal point, is. A play like this one, okay. So Benfica break out on the counter, and my man Peasy, who I'll defend when I think he needs defending, but I'm also going to criticize when he when he needs to be criticized. This one's on him. He hesitated that extra half second that allowed Porto, and I think it was Pep because Pep, for as much of a of a thug as he is on the pitch, is one of the smartest footballers in the world. That's why he's still. Playing at this level at age 38. He steps. He beats PZ in a sense that he steps before PZ delivers the pass. That split second of indecision puts puts Rafa offside. Rafa has to go. He can't stand still and then wait. He has to start his run. Rafa goes down. The, goes down. Um... He's wide open, and actually, was it the was it Mabemba who who runs him down? It might have been Mabemba, but I think it was Pep who put him offside. I'm not a hundred percent certain. Maybe it was Mabemba. Now my memory is 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 fogging, but the foul occurs outside the box. Okay, which man, I wish there was another defender there because if Rafa's running and there's a defender in front of him and that foul happens, that is. 
a foul. It's a yellow card offense. And there is no VAR review. And we have a direct kick at the top of the area. Unfortunately, because Rafa's in daylight and there's nobody in front of him. And the referee calls the foul. Now you have to go to VAR because it's outside the area. Which means it it's a, it's a red card offense. So, because there was no defender in front of, of Rafa, making this a clear scoring opportunity, it actually hurts Benfica because it prompts the VAR review. And then we see Rafa 19 centimeters offside. Nobody wants to talk about this because nobody wants to bring into... Well, none of us have been in a VAR booth, okay? But we've all seen there's enough talented photoshoppers on the internet to make anything look either offside or not offside. And, you know, the line shows 19 centimeters. I don't know how accurate that is. I have a hard time believing that you can even pinpoint the the distance of that to that small of a unit, that small of a measurement. I mean... The problem I have now with VAR in the way it's implemented in the old days, this was onside all day because it was considered even. It's impossible to be even if you're going down to the centimeter. It's literally impossible to be completely even when it comes down to a when you can narrow it down to one centimeter. So there's no advantage for the attacker like there used to be. And it's also pretty impossible to pause on the exact frame where the ball is played because, again, if you're looking for a frame with space green between the foot and the ball, that's not where the ball was played. There, There's milliseconds there, and it's just not accurate. It may be very, very close, but it's not 100% accurate, which means that you cannot, in my opinion, prove that he's offside in this situation. And therefore, the call on the field should have stood, in my opinion. And the VAR should have only been reviewed so that it was not a penalty and that the free kick was outside the box. But that's not the way it's it's utilized. That's how I would like to see it utilized, even against us. I'll be on Even against us, okay? Even against us. I think that that's the way it should be viewed. Because I don't believe it is possible to get it down to that exact of a millisecond of when the ball was played and where the player was. Plus, plus, FIFA and IFAB have done a bad job of clarifying exactly what is an offside. Is it a knee? Is it an, do, does a hand count? Does the player's nose count? Like, we don't know, okay? They have not been clear. They need to be ex- very explicit and very clear so that it's not the way it is right now where each country has its own interpretation of an offside when looking at VAR. Because I guarantee you in England, that, that goal, that not that goal, but that is not called offside and we have a free kick and we play against 10 for the remaining 45 minutes, but it wasn't meant to be. It goes the other way. It's halftime. All right, second half. Now, if you get in the lead, as you know, Otavio with an open hand, a full swing slap on Lucas Verissimo. He still has not been booked, Otavio. Okay. And I'm going to quickly skim through the rest of the match. And I don't think Otavio even gets booked in this match. 
It's amazing what that guy gets away with. No, Otavio doesn't even get booked, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, Lucas Verissimo is holding the ball and, and disagreeing with the call. And yeah, he can't do that. But Otavio comes and slaps him, open hand, slaps his arm to get the ball from him. You can't do that either. Suarez Diaz has no in, has no interest, no interest in doing anything with that. And again, he gets away with another one. All right, now for me, the key moment of the match here, and this is where JJ has to has to take responsibility. Okay, because I think this is mismanagement and misdecision. And I heard BTV and I heard the Twitter world that the pro J you know the JJ fanboys if you will and I try to be as balanced and as fair as I can with the manager I have been on coaching staffs okay where we have been criticized and I have been on coaching staffs where we could do no wrong in the eyes of some people okay there are hard decisions that have to be made in the event of a match okay in the course of a match JJ had to make one here. Weigel is booked. JJ is a... F We're losing the midfield. Elder Kundut is saying that the game is calling for Tarapt and for Gabriel. And I actually agree that the game was calling for Tarapt. Okay, you may be surprised to hear this. But I actually agreed that it was time for Tarapt to come on. I like him in this instance. Okay, it's minute 67. You get him with his energy for 25 minutes, 30 minutes. I like that. And, and I think he... He showed a he showed why this is a good role for him. It may not be the one he wants, but it's in my opinion what's best for our team and our club is is for Tarapt to be used in this way. So Tarapt comes on for Rafa, who literally couldn't run anymore because he had just been assaulted by by uh, <laughs> he'd just been assaulted by Pep. I don't I think I forgot to write that down and. Uh, Pep completely nails. Yeah, Pep gets a yellow card in the 63rd. Four minutes later, Rafa can't continue. And I guess I'll backtrack to that to that play first because here is another instance where VAR should have been used. Okay, Pep comes in with his studs up. He leaves the ground on this tackle. He doesn't break Rafa's leg because he missed, but. However, the rules of the game, okay, when dealing with violent conduct, you do not have to make contact for it to be violent conduct. If you walk up to a player, close your fist and swing a haymaker, and you miss, you're still getting sent off. It's not about whether or not you made contact. You don't get to try to, to, throw, a, to throw a punch or a karate kick to the head, and if you miss, you're off the hook. With a yellow card. That's not how it works. He goes in in an absolutely dangerous, dangerous manner. Okay. And he, he could very easily have, have ended Rafa's season and, and really put his career in jeopardy if this, if this tackle lands. Fortunately, he misses and he catches Rafa with his, with his sliding leg, his, his back leg in the slide rather than with his lead leg and with the studs and with the weight of his body on the bottom of his sole of his foot okay so he sees yellow but 
This should have, VAR should have been consulted. Suarez Diaz should have been made to go to the screen to watch this. Because that is a red card. That is violent conduct. There is no way around that. And Portistas are never going to agree with this, but it is what it is. And that is violent conduct. And don't come and pull out a, a clip from a match in 2012 where, where, where one of our guys, did, where Garay does the same thing or something like that. Okay, We're talking about this match. Because if you're going to do that, we're going to go back and we're going to review every single Every single penalty kick uh, Mehdi Taremi has has drawn this season. And if we go on that precedent, then when Diogo Salves goes down, you have a case for a penalty. I agree that that the VAR got it right. That's not a penalty. Okay. But I fully, 100%, would feel comfortable betting everything I own and everything I have in this world that if it was at the other end, it would have been pointing to the spot, even with VAR, it would have been upheld, and Porto would have had a penalty kick, okay? Absolutely, because history has told me that that is a penalty for them. In this situation, this needs to be a red card. There is. This is not a caution. This is violent conduct. He's leading with his studs. He just happens to miss. You do not have to make contact, contact to constitute violent conduct. And this changes the game once again. So it's yellow for for Pep. We do nothing with the set piece. And Rafa's got to come off injured. On comes Terapta. I like that one. That one made sense. However, if JJ's worried about Uli and Weigel being booked and he doesn't trust uh, the referee and he knows Porto are egging him on, Listen, there are times where you have to just pull the player aside and remind him he can, you know, and Ulian Weigel is not used to this, this this kind of dirty tactics, okay? In Germany, when Bayern play Dortmund, they don't play like this. They don't try to get each other sent off. They play football and they try to outplay each other and they try to score more goals, okay? So this is still, he's been in Portugal a year and a half, but this is still outside of his wheelhouse, Okay? This is still outside of his his nature and his his way of of playing the game, but he has to understand that this is a key crunch moment. We are holding a one zero lead by the you know by a knee, the thread of what's the expression by the skin of our teeth. Okay, what he cannot do is what he did. And sub on Gabriel, who is not a holding midfielder even remotely. He is not a good positional player. Gabriel is good at playing balls into space, into dangerous spaces and breaking lines. He's good at applying high pressure. That's not what you're going to be doing in the last 20 minutes of this match, the last 23 minutes. I know Weigel is on a yellow card, but you cannot make that kind of a mistake when you are Georges Jesus and you have that pedigree and you have won titles now in Portugal and in Brazil and you've won the Copa Libertadores with all the tactics in South America and with all the, you know, the antics and quite honest, a lot of people will say the unsportsmanlike or the ungentlemanlike tactics that they use. Very, very similar to, to Porto plays that exact style that they use in South America, okay? 
he has to know he can he has to trust his guy in this situation because honestly I think I would have rather Vigel stayed in the match another 10 minutes and got sent off on a second yellow and we play with 10 and then you make that substitution 10 minutes later than doing what he did and just giving it away. You know, now you have PZ, Gabriel, and Tarapt as your three center midfielders. How am I, how can I, as a onlooker, as a former coach, as a someone who played this game in the midfield, knowing what I know and what I've learned over the years, how can I really put any blame on those three players for not being able to hold off Porto's midfield and for not being able to hold a result when none of those players have the characteristics that you need in that situation. Yes, it was a bad situation and JJ had a half a second to think about it probably. But João de Deus, he's he's the young guy. He's the one that's more nuanced. Maybe JJ doesn't listen. I don't know. Okay? That substitution should not have happened. 73rd minute and actually 67th minute still. Another problem with this substitution. I noted this again. I spent a good two hours last night. I was up late. Okay. Spent a good two hours on these last 20, on this portion of the match. Just watching it over and over. I would watch one, I would watch, you know, one uh, guy, I'd watch the entire sequence, watch what one guy did, watch the entire sequence with what another guy did. Okay, sometimes, um, you know, I, I could not have done a, a post-game show on this one. There was just too much to look at because I didn't see this the first time, obviously. I saw it the 10th, but he makes a substitution when we are defending a corner. You can never, in my opinion, do that. That is, unless it's the final minute of the game and you're subbing on a tall defender and taking out an attacker and you're adding a body into the area. No, you're taking out two marking players, two players that need to mark. And you're bringing on two more. So you're not just, your defense doesn't just have to, and your goalkeeper doesn't just have to position one guy and tell him. <laughs> I'm going to put this comment up on the screen here. This is from my good friend Alfredo, and yes, I do. I do put myself through a lot of torture, and I do want to, I just want explanations sometimes. And um, this substitution on a defensive corner, it is Tarapt's man, and I'm not blaming Tarapt on this one. It is Tarapt's man. I think Tarapt lined up with Taremi. Maybe it wasn't him. But Taremi's wide open at the back post, but fortunately, he heads it over the bar. Okay, the moment now, 73rd minute. Taremi draws a foul on Gabriel. Again, out of his element, trying to hold a result here. Especially for a player who's played as little as he has this season. He's played so little this season. And this is such a high-pressure situation. It doesn't matter that nobody's in the stands, in my opinion, at this one. Because these players are locked in. Okay, this is a, a, a rivalry match that you have to win. You're hearing JJ the whole match, right? He fouls Taremi, and Taremi basically does what he always does. He gets positioning, then he slows down and lets you run into his back. The free kick doesn't hurt us because it hits the wall, 
and it goes out. Okay, it goes off of Lucas Ferrissimo, and actually Lucas Ferrissimo probably saves the goal by heading it out. Ensuing corner kick, okay, and this is where, again, I spent, and as, as Alfredo said, I tortured myself here because I watched this, and I wanted to see what everyone was doing. So the corner kick is, is cleared by Benfica uh, away. It goes out the far side, but doesn't go out off the pitch. João Mario, who had just come on, gets the ball. Okay, João Mario, the first guy to answer is Tarapt, which, again, I'm not going to blame him here because this is not where you want Tarapt. Stepping out wide to defend a guy one-on-one. But we all learn when we're eight years old that you contain. Okay, Befica's back line, and in this play, Gabriel is behind, actually, the back three in this play. I've, again, I paused it so many times. He's behind the back three. And the defensive line retreats because they're expecting the cross to come in in the air, and they're going to step to it, clear it wide, either you know right or left. They're going to they're going to step to it and get, and they're going to see the ball in, and they're going to step forward to try to win it. Because when you're defending, you don't want to be backpedaling; you want to be coming forward. So they retreat. Problem is, Tarap gets beat on the dribble, and now because Porto's players are drifting towards the penalty area, Befica's players are drifting towards the goal. It creates a space there. Jo Mario plays a nice ball in. Literally all that Uribe does is walk from about five meters from the far left to the center to the penalty spot, turns his hips, the ball is there, and he buries it beautifully, you know, and Porto are level. And, again, it is Gabriel should not be behind the defenders on this play. That line has to get out and, and pick up the next line of guys coming in, the late arriving players. But I think what they were doing is they're getting ready to come out for a ball that is going to be whipped in or crossed in. Romadi has got it on his right foot, so it's going to be an outswinger. So they're gonna they think they got time to get out there. And what they do instead is they don't have the chance to do that because Romadi beats Tarapt on the dribble. And again, this midfield was never going to be able to hold this result. Okay, No, this isn't beautiful football. This isn't the football that Benficistas want to see. This is not the attitude they want to see. I get all of that. But in this circumstance and in this situation, I told my wife this podcast was going to take an hour. We're already over an hour. We've got one more game still to talk about. But... Um, Befica's three center midfielders are not in the area they need to be. Of course, uh, if you listen to Vizão Vermelha, it's a gr- it's also a very good podcast. Um, it's in Portuguese, but they had Armando Sa on breaking this down. And Alfredo saying so many fundamentals missing. Exactly. Um, Armando Sa really got into detail on what each player should have done in this situation. He was once a right back for Benfica in some of those dark years. You know, he was there when I guess Vietnam ended when we won that Tasa against Porto. And that was his final season. But he explained and you know, it's players are all in the wrong place in this and, and he, he explains it much better than I can. So if you want to hear that, go back, find Vizon Vermelho wherever you listen to podcasts, okay? The one that's got Armando it says right in the title that he joins them and listen to his analysis of this play and of this goal and he breaks down exactly what went wrong um Porto then are going you know they are coming forward yes I think a draw was 
the the worst that they would have hoped for, but they made offensive-minded substitutions, okay? And they were leaving that left side, the right side of their defense wide open, and, and the the substitution for us of the match that changed everything was bringing on Darwin. He went into that space. And I'm wondering, why have we been playing Darwin as a out-and-out number nine, okay? Or trying to pair him with Seferovic, which, you know, we saw in the in this match and then in the in the Nacional match after what Darwin can bring to you. Okay, and I think all season we're trying to use players in, in ways and in roles that they're not good at. Okay, and you want to set your team up to to succeed by putting players in a position to do what they do. Yeah, sometimes players, you know, a more experienced player may have to take on a a role he's less comfortable with and have to adapt. But a, a kid, just because you slap that twenty four million dollar that twenty four million dollar uh, Tag on him does not turn him into Edison Cavani, and I feel like all season <laughs> JJ was hoping he'd turn into Edison Cavani. But here he gets in behind and he starts to exploit that space. All right, Porto don't really have much of a chance to score. They really don't have um, any dangerous positions. We keep them at distance. We let them have the ball. I'm okay with that, especially at this stage. Okay, where we need to counter and we need them to come forward. Um, the first. The first key play, he goes down the left and he squares it to Tarapt. And my man Tarapt, okay, he he hits a, a beautiful left-footed shot, okay. For everything I've said to him, and I said this to Neil in the pregame show because he messaged, he commented on that Tarapt was going to score the winner. And I said, when he scores the winner, I will take back everything I ever said. And I thought he was going to do it here. And I don't know how Marquezine manages to save a low-driven shot like that. And he saves it and parries it down onto the ground, it looks like, unintentionally. It takes a bounce, goes up, hits the bar, and stays out. That is the worst luck I can think of, possibly, in that situation. The shot was well taken. Uh, a minute later, PZ has a chance. Again, it's Darwin. PZ tries to flip it over Manafa and bring it down onto... He actually, he's facing the goal with his hips turned towards goal so the ball's coming on his left he needs to turn he's trying to flip it up onto his right foot and when he does that Manafa gets in between and pokes it away but then 92 here it comes and it is Darwin again and this time he holds up he cuts back like he's going to shoot defender's well positioned so he can't shoot the lane's not there but he sees he sees Diogo Salves coming in. Diogo Salves is at the top of the area. He draws the defenders out, okay? And he slides it with a, fir a brilliant first-time pass, okay? A very nice, nicely timed pass right onto PZ. PZ at the far post. And he looks up and he puts it in the only place he could put it to score, and he beats Marquezine. And I'm telling you, I went crazy. I jumped out of my seat. I ran outside screaming. I slid on my knees in my jeans in the yard, okay? And I literally did one of these. After I'm like this, I said, they're going to find something wrong with that. I said to myself, uh, you know, my heart rate was probably at like 180, okay? It was in the cardio zone. And I come back in and already I see Lonce Annalise. The play is under under review. And unbelievably... Um, it just, you could see it coming in. Yeah, I mean, according to the replay, again, it's hard to say. Um, and Alfredo and Cristiano talked about it this on their show this week. 
And, you know, Cristiano said that you can't prove that he was onside. You can't prove that he wasn't. I feel like that means the call on the field should have stood. Now, when you watch it again, the Porto players put their arms up out of habit. But when the ball's in the back of the net, there's not one person complaining. When have you ever seen the ball go in the net and Porto not complain? Sergio Conceição is his head down. Pep is laying flat on his face, you know, feeling like they just lost it. They were defeated for a moment. But then the VAR comes in and, you know, <laughs> um, Suarez Diaz, <laughs> he, he gets ever, the smirk was there for just a millisecond. But you could see the relief in his face that he could call that back. And I think it was more relief than it was, like, happiness. I don't think I th and I I'm going to put this up on the screen here. Alfredo just said it and it, he's right. It looks a lot it does look it looked onside live and it did look closer than Rafa even though the line the measurement said 30 centimeters I think on this one and 19 on Rafa's. But man. I I thought VAR was going to be good for this game. And, again, you know, the guys on Benfica FM said you can't celebrate a goal ever again because you just don't know that it's going to stand. And we saw, you know, J.J. in the presser talked about the Real Madrid game, and that was in, in this week's presser against against uh, Nacional, where you think you have a penalty kick at one end and it ends up being a penalty kick at the other because you rolled the tape back a minute. That happened to Portugal against Switzerland. I'll never forget that was the first time I saw that in the, UA in the UEFA Nations League the final four but yeah and that that's the game guys that's that's uh that is Benfica one Porto one and again let's I'll bring up the goal point we can look at the ratings here and see how these guys did we talked about the starting lineups and so Marquezine 4.7 you see the XG's Porto with the 1.2 XG Porto uh, Benfica 0 0.3 but the this is very much uh, influenced by the by the uh, the negated place, the unlodge, you know, the the penalties that were called back, and so that would be much different if not for, for those reviews. And it is, I mean, again, this is just a disappointing way to to lose the game, but. We've got Manafa 4.0, Mabimba 5.5, Pep 4.8, Zaidus 5.4, Otavio with the 6.8, and no yellow card somehow. Um, Sergio Oliveira 5.5, Uribe man of the match. I don't think anyone can dispute that. Uh, he he's played all. I went back and looked. He has just had like he's had six fives, sevens. Here he has an 8.6. He's just played well against Benfica every single time. You'd think we we kind of have a better plan for it by now. Luis Diaz, 6.8, Teremi and Marega, 5.1 and 5.9, respectively. There you see Tony Martinez and Andrew Mario's ratings, 5.3 and 5.9. Uh, Elton Late was a 5.3 in goal. Diogo Gonçalves with a 5.2. Lucas Verissimo, 5.6. He's the highest rated of the center backs. Otamendi, 5.4. Vertonghen, 5.5. Grimaldo gets a 5.9. But this, this algorithm must not include times you get dribbled because he gets dribbled far too easy um Weigel 4.1 not a good outing for him uh very conditioned 
And he, he does not do well. It's become clear to teams in the league he does not do well once on a yellow card. And I understand the substitution, but again, I think it was a it was a big mistake for the reasons I've already pointed out. PZ 4.9, Rafa 5.2, and Seferovic 5.0, and then you see off the bench Gabriel 4.7, Terap 4.9, and I actually think Terap deserved a, a higher rating in this one. And you all know how I typically feel about him, but I, I like him in the substitute role. I really do. I think that he is dangerous that way, and he brings he brings something different. He changes the look of Benfica. When he plays from the start, I think he's so concerned with gassing out that he's trying to save himself, perhaps, to last longer. And in the meantime, you don't get those 30 good minutes from him. You just get 60 or 70 eh, minutes from him. Okay, I'm going to take a quick break here. Um, when I come back, okay, for those of you listening on the podcast, you're going to get some music here if you're on YouTube. I'll be right back. Um, we'll we'll get into the game with Nacional real quickly, and then I'm going to have to wrap it up. All right, this is Mr. Benfica, episode 112, and I am the Mr. Mike Agustin. You see my handle there. Go ahead and give me a follow. If you're watching on YouTube, do subscribe um, if you're following if you're watching on Periscope, then you're watching on my Twitter. I hope you're following by now. Also on Instagram at, at Mr. Benfica. I'll be right back. Benfica episode 112. Let's quickly go down Benfica versus Nacional here. And I'll use Fought Mob for this one. Okay, Nacional uh, lineup they're playing 4 4 4 3 4 3 3, excuse me, for Antonio, for Manuel Machado. The goalkeepers Antonio Felipe, Ruben Freitas, Pedro Henrique, Julius Cesar, and Lucas Kahl across the back. Ibrahim Al Hassan in the center, anchoring with Larry Azuni and Eberbessa to each side. Pedro Mendes is the striker with Juan Vigario and Brian Riascus as the strikers. 
for Benfica. They would go with their 4-4-2 that they use when they don't have all three central defenders available. Again, very predictable. This has been a very predictable team all season, and it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. Elton Leitzen goal. Gilberto is in. He's in place of the suspended Diogo Gonçalves. Lucas Verissimo and Nicolas Otamendi are are the the center back pairing. Nuno Tavares gets a rare start um, on, at left back. In midfield, Pedrinho and Weigel. Uh, actually, it should be Chiquinho and Weigel in the center with Pedrinho to one side, Chervi to the other. And up front, Seferovic and Waldschmidt. And, um, well... I think JJ made too many changes in this game, and I'm not. I understand why he did. He basically gave these guys a final chance to prove something, um, and he gave some guys a chance to rest and to recover for the weekend's derby. Right? Uh, he knew. I think he knew Sporting were going to win later this day. They were going to celebrate. They were going to be out all night, and that could affect them on Saturday. But believe it or not, I know a lot of times people don't realize, but that throws off the circadian rhythm. That throws off their training regiment. That throws off their recovery. And I think J.J. kept that in mind when he, he kept some guys out. Problem is, when you put too many fringe players in together, there's no chemistry there. Okay, These guys all have too few minutes to, to, to really make the most of the opportunity. And it sounds like a, you know we could see some of these guys move on. But Shikinyu, for me, anytime he... I, I, Again, I feel like I've praised him when I need to. I feel like I've criticized him when I need to. But one thing he, I don't think he will ever be is a first 11 for Benfica. Okay, I think he can be a very good substitute. Whether or not the club or he are willing to accept that role is a whole different discussion. And part of the reason he's a better substitute is he comes in and he's surrounded by better players. Okay. Um... Chervi, I think, should have been... I really think what happened with Diogo Salves, I think the same effort should have been made with Franco Chervi this season. I know he's not as young, but I think he may have been a, be a more serviceable left back. And you could have very easily played with him in the back and, and Grimaldo further up the pitch so he doesn't have to defend as much. But that was not what JJ had in mind. I understand that. I think we need a left back. I've said that I think that is one of our key plays. We need a left back, a 6, and an 8. But we've been saying that season after season after season. So I don't know that we're going to get any of that. We'll see when, this, when the off season comes. But Nuno Tavares would show you in the second half his potential. This is a guy with huge potential. But he is, you know, like we say about so many of these players, not so aware of things like positioning and and a lot of this I think comes from him having come through the Benfica Academy as a, an outside back where they never have to defend I've felt all season like he needs a loan to a Moreirens or a Famalicão where he's going to have to defend and where they can afford to stick with him Okay, where their goals are not to win the league, their goals are to maybe come in Europe, definitely not get not get relegated so in that middle ground there's a lot more leeway for players to make mistakes and mature you know again Morirens, Famalicão, uh, Passos Ferreira teams like that I think that's where Nuno Tavares needs to go to learn the craft of defending okay where he has to defend every match and where there's matches where he does not get to go forward 
He's not going to forget how to attack. He's not going to forget how to go forward. He's a natural beast of an athlete, which we saw in the goal that he had that was called back, right? Again, because of VAR. Uh, I'm just going to fast forward to that because... Um, Again, we we they score in the. I'll I'll start here. They score in the a the eighth minute. It is Enrique. It is uh. It is Pedro Enrique who scores the goal, the defender, and he, you know, again, Benfica suffer a goal that they shouldn't be surrendering in. I mean, they came out completely asleep. This was a disastrous first half. JJ makes the adjustments at halftime, okay? We can't play a full match for some reason. We can play half a match. We can't play a full one. So at halftime, on comes Everton, PZ, and Grimaldo. Off comes Cherry, Chiquinho, and Pedrinho, okay? And instantly you see a better Benfica. And in the 65th minute, on comes Darwin for Gilberto. Best substitution of the match, obviously. Uh, Benfica make a few adjustments and... Well, Darwin does what he's been doing as of late, and I'm wondering why we haven't kind of figured this out by now. 74th minute, on comes Gonzalo Ramos. We're losing at the at that time, okay? We are losing. We're trying to get Seferovic to score the goals, right? Seferovic is doing his thing, and uh, he's missing horribly. <laughs> I mean, this, is, this has been him all season. He might be joint top of the league scoring, but... He's definitely top of the league in, in chances squandered. And why did it take 30... I tweeted this at the moment. Why did it take 32 weeks to try Darwin and Gonzalo Ramos? Well, it took 32 weeks to even, you know, give Gonzalo Ramos a real run at it. And again, like he did last season. Who remembers last season against Sportiv de Zavs? Darwin gets about 10 minutes of playing time and scores two goals. He gets 15 here and he's... You know, scores two goals. This guy's a natural goal scorer, and I don't want to hype him up too much. And we don't want to put unnecessary pressure on him. But this guy should have been utilized a lot more. Why was he not the one that comes off the bench when we need a goal? He has such confidence and such such calmness in front of goal. He's so calm. That goal he scores, it's not just anybody who's going to bury that the way he did. I mean, we've seen Seferovic get the same exact opportunity. I mean, he, the goal, the first goal comes to Seferovic, okay? If not for him blasting it so wide that he hit, that thing was going to go out so wide had he not hit a defender who redirected it into the goal for him. It was the same Pedro Henrique that scored. So Pedro Henrique gets the goal at each end in this one. It's 1-1. 80th minute, Gonzalo Ramos. Scores with the real pretty one. And then in the 86, he scores the one that was kind of a broken goal that kind of deflects and trickles over the line. But Darwin, two assists. Gonzalo Ramos, two goals. I'm not saying we start with those two in the Clásico. I say we go to the, I mean in the Derby this week. And I say we should go to those two in the Derby. And I will do a pregame show before the Derby on Saturday. So 12.30 Eastern Time here in the United States. That's 5.30 in Portugal. I will do a live pregame show again uh, about a half hour. And hopefully, um, maybe they'll play it in the locker room. No, they won't. But, um, yeah, I'd love to think I have that kind of influence. I don't. But for whoever wants to watch, I will be live on Saturday before the match, okay? 
to get ready for the derby and hopefully we are going to uh, beat Sporting and give them their one loss because I don't want to see them go undefeated. And I think I'm going to address the Guard of Honor then, okay, because we're running out of time here. We're going long. I'll address my thoughts on the Guard of Honor on Saturday, okay. Um, I've been asked that, and I'm, I've actually, those of you that I've answered know my answer, but I've actually changed my mind. So I'll talk to you about that on Saturday. Uh, I'll hit on Nuno Santos and his, his uh, antics, his scarf, and what I think of that. And... Um, yeah, we'll, we'll hit all that in the pregame show on Saturday. But let's go here and let's look at the table now. So it's basically all set and done here in, in Liga Nage for 2020-2021. And now, again, I hope a lot of our players are not included in summer tournaments this, this summer. I know you can expect Vertonghen to be called in. He's the captain of Belgium. Uh, perhaps Otamendi... And Verissimo, I don't know if Verissimo is on Brazil's shortlist or not. Uh, perhaps Otamendi may be going to Argentina, but I don't. Weigel, I don't think is going to be playing for Germany. I highly doubt that. Same with Waldschmidt. Um, I don't think the either of the Portuguese players are going to be representing Portugal. To be honest, uh, I just don't. I think there's just better options. So. Darwin may be playing for Uruguay at Copa America, but I'm hoping that the majority of these guys do not go to to um, their national teams this summer. So here's the table now after 32 rounds. Sporting, your champions elect. Um, well, listen, you get a leap year every four years. You get a comet every 10 years. A, bro a broken clock is right twice a day. But Sporting, you only get a Sporting title every 19 years. So I did actually send a message to my Sportingista family back in Portugal. Something they've never done for me. And I did congratulate them because they were the best team. And they deserved to win. And had they not won this and Porto won it, it would have been a complete robbery for the 72 penalty kicks Porto were awarded this season. So there you see him, 82 points for Sporting. Porto, 74. Benfica, 70. Uh, pretty much that top three is locked up. Those are the teams going to the Champions League, of course. We're going into the pre-round, so we get to start our preseason even earlier on a year where there's a Euro and a Copa America. That's about the worst possible year to be going in to that round, but it, that's where we are right now. Braga will go automatically to the Europa League because they will either go as the cup winner or as the fourth place team and Pastor Ferreira is going to go into the Europa Conference League and right now we have a battle of four teams okay separated by two points this is the best match this is the best race right now in Portugal Vitoria Guimarães 42 points but slipping another loss uh, to Famalicão in this round and Santa Clara with 40 points, they won. So they, they still have that outside shot with two matches to play to steal that sixth place. You can't see it here on SofaScore, but sixth place will be a Europa Conference spot because the cup spot that is reserved for the cup winner, okay, is between Befica and Braga, who are both already qualified. So it opens another spot for sixth place. It could be Vitoria, it could be Santa Clara. Bulinish Sadar on the outside looking. And can you imagine... I wonder where they would play their Europa Conference games. It wouldn't be at the Jamur. Um, we'll see if they move to Grandula by next season. I probably I would doubt that because I haven't heard anything since. 
Morenes also in there with 40. So any one of those four teams realistically with a shot to get in to the Europa Conference. Fumalico with a much longer shot of much further away. Gil Vicente are 11th with 36. Tondela 36 and 12th. Portimones, they look, they're going to be safe, it looks like, with 34. Maritimo, same. And then Rio Ave right now, only one point above that playoff spot. Uh, not where Miguel Castro wants to be. I've met Miguel Castro. I've had conversations. and I, he, When we used to have our Portuguese-American Coaches Association, he hung out with us at the conventions. Um, he's intense, but he's a good guy. But he, I can imagine he's going crazy with his players right now. Uh, Josualdo Ferreira's Boa Vista are, th- are 16th with 30 points. They're in a playoff spot. They'll play the third-place team. Uh, from the second division from the Liga Deutsch. And I had said we'd talk about that today. I guess that's going to have to wait for the next episode. And Ferenc right now all but assured of going down. They may be able to sneak into the playoff spot. We'll see. But Nacional, adios. See you later. Sayonara. Au revoir. You choose it. You choose the, the, the language you want to say goodbye to them. Uh, don't take care, Nacional. Hope I see you never in the first division again. Uh, their antics this year of not being willing to, to reschedule a match, not being willing to, you know, but being willing to reschedule for other teams. And then, you know, I they can go. I'm not, Okay, so here's the top scorers as I have here. Pedro Gonçalves, Pot, and Seferovic are joint with 18. Uh, Taremi's got 15. Mario Gonzalez, 15. Sergio Oliveira's 12. Beto, 11. Carlos Jr., 11. Mateo Casiera has 10. He's from Bolinesad. Ricardo Orta with 9. And he misses about as much as Seferovic does. So that, that's interesting that he made it on there. And, and Joel Taigo with 9. Down here we can, I guess, show you the, I believe they have here, the team of the week. Here it is. The team of the week for round 32. Andrea Ferreira of Santa Clara is the goalkeeper. Fabio Cardoso of Santa Clara, I uh, I think that's an is that an Andres Sanch, uh, Adrian Sanch of Riuav and Leo of Maritimo, the fa- foreign midfield. I don't know who picks these formations for these teams of the week, but Otavio is in the team of the week. Paigna is in the team of the week. D- David Simon, remember him? He was made in Seychelles, and he was a guy we could never find a place for. Also, Nuno Mendes also in the team of the week. You see their ratings there. Taremi with a near perfect rating in this this week's. Easy victory for Porto over Ferenc. He's a 9.8. Obviously, he's the player of the week based on ratings. Gonzalo Ramuj is in the team of the week. Congratulations to the kid. And Mateo Casiera. Okay. So, that is pretty much going to wrap it up. Like I said, um, the things I didn't get to, I will hopefully remember to get to on Saturday in the pregame show. Thank you to everyone who's watched. I have a few more messages here, so I'm going to play them. They just came in. So here we have João Coutinho. Says, doesn't seem that Vieira and Jorge Jesus are going anywhere. At least one more. I agree. And then he says, wake up, Benfica. I don't think they're going anywhere. Um, Jorge Jesus is definitely not going anywhere because it'd be too expensive to get rid of him. And he's got the the excuse of COVID built in. Um, I think he knew that coming in in case things went wrong. He knew he had his, he had his trump cards in his back pocket in case... And, again, there's also the argument of, if not him, who? You know, this is our third manager in short time, and the problems are the same. So, uh, for me, the, the problems are 
they're more structural. They're at a higher level. Vieta just won an election with almost a two-thirds majority. I mean, maybe the fans are going to try to force him out. I don't, I don't know. He seems to be very good at averting things like that. Um, I don't really want to see this this club turn into what happened at Sporting. But in the end, who was right? Right? They ran Bruno Carvalho out of the club, and look where they're standing now. As much as they don't like Verandes. And as much as they want him out, he's he's won them a title. And if you care about modalidades like I do, he's won two European Champions Leagues in futsal. He's won a hockey championship. He just, his basketball team just wiped the floor with us. I started out the the, the episode talking about that. Uh, they wiped the floor with us today. And uh, they wiped the floor with us at everything right now. So um, we'll see what happens this weekend, hopefully. Things turn out in our favor. Don't forget, Classico Saturday. Okay, it's a 1 p.m. Eastern time start here in the United States on the East Coast. That's 10 a.m. on the West Coast. And that's uh, 6 p.m. or 18 hours in Portugal. Um, also, this weekend, we've got we've got hockey, Benfica versus Sporting, European semifinals. And the women's team returns to action against Condesha. Must win match before they face Sporting next week for the title. All right. Um, I'm not going to get into into whether or not there'll be fans in the final season. I think we still have time for that. Um, I'm not going to get into the Champions League going to Porto. If you haven't heard, I tweeted this on Tuesday that uh, I had with good authority that it was going to be announced today on Thursday. It was, in fact, announced today on Thursday. The Champions League final has been moved to the Stadio de Dragon. doesn't really does concern us, but all of a sudden, the, the league now has an interest in having fans in the stadium. We'll get to that next week. So uh, that's going to do it here. Thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you to Alfredo. Thank you to João. Thank you to everybody who participated and um, everybody watching on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Twitter. Uh, I'll see you guys next week. And also, don't forget to go to MrBenfica.com and um, look around. I've got some written pieces there. I've also got old episodes. And follow me on on uh, YouTube, okay? Hit the subscribe button so you'll know every time that I put out any content, okay? Again, I'll see you Saturday, 12.30 Eastern Time here in the United States, 5.30 p.m. Eastern, t sorry, 5.30 p.m. Portuguese Standard Time for a pregame. I'll preview the the derby with Sporting, and that's going to do it for episode 112. Thank you, everybody. I'll see you next time. This has been Mr. Benfica. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinho, signing off.